We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Hello, welcome to the Eurostep episode 15. I'm Kane Pittman. I'm joined by Ty Windish as always and Ty. The playoffs have begun. Game one is in the books, but I'm not totally sure that felt like a playoff game. For about 40 seconds, maybe it did. And then from there, it was kind of just a mockery of the playoffs. And I think the really funny thing is pretty much all the games until Milwaukee hosted Detroit at 6 p.m. Central Time on Sunday were close games. You know, everyone talking about all these playoffs are so entertaining. This is so great. Everything else. And then from literally the time it was 2-2, the Bucks just absolutely annihilate the Pistons 121-86, ensuring that yesterday was a good day in Milwaukee, 414 day as well. Today is going to be a good day for Bucks fans. I think it feels to me like most of these days in the first round are probably going to be pretty dang good. Yeah, you touched on it. The Bucks win 121-86. They never... Uh, trail the Pistons at one point in the third quarter. They're up by forty-three points, and that's basically <sighs> when uh, Budenholzer pulls the pulls the pin with the starters and gets them some some rest. Uh, there's just so many positives to to come away from this one. Uh, potentially, the biggest uh, positive is the fact that none of those starters played over twenty-five minutes. They were able to keep their uh, their workload down, uh, which in a playoff game. I mean, this is not really what you come to expect. You think that the guys, the minutes are going to go up, but uh, the Pistons are obviously shorthanded with no Blake Griffin. 
Uh, and this, you know, as you as you touched on, may, maybe forty seconds is a little bit generous, but uh, Giannis started this one as aggressive as you thought he would. He finishes up with twenty four points and seventeen rebounds in just twenty three minutes. So uh, that is the first time players had over twenty points and sixteen rebounds in a playoff game in under uh, twenty five minutes ever. I mean, it was a dominant performance. The Pistons, they really, I mean, they just don't have anyone to put on Giannis. They don't have anyone to slow him down. And it was evident, you know, really early in this one that pretty much across the board, the Pistons just do not have, uh, you know, the the manpower to to stop this team, whether it's Giannis or whether it's Lopez, who was shooting threes early from the perimeter. Uh, Anyone. Pat Connaughton comes in and plays well. George Hill scores a lot of points. Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton play a secondary role. So uh, we spoke about this on the last podcast when we were previewing the series. Both of us were, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I was sort of wondering, maybe we were, you know, a little over the top with how dominant we thought the Bucks team were going to be. But uh, after yeah, that apparently line, not. <laughs> I think we're on the money. And it's what we've seen all season when the Bucks have played the Pistons. And, I mean, this was, this was, this was a brutal beatdown. I think the biggest thing is, especially with Blake Griffin out, and who knows if he'll play in this series. At, at this point, I think you got to kind of wonder why bother if you're Detroit. The the Pistons franchise player outside of Blake before he got there, and obviously when he doesn't play, is Andre Drummond. And it just feels like the Bucks make that guy not effective whatsoever. I mean, 12 points, 12 boards, and 26 minutes tonight before getting thrown out for a, a heinous act, uh, the worst we've ever seen. Um, but even, I mean, when he was out there before that, I mean, that was almost merciful. The guy was minus 45 in 26 <laughs> minutes, which is just an abomination. Because what what Drummond, what Drummond does really well, he's a, he's a nice defender. He can do some dribble handoff stuff on offense. He can do some around-the-basket stuff. But he's a rebounder. It's what he does. Best rebounder in the NBA by, like, two whole rebounds this game. And when he's defending Brook Lopez and when he's defended by Brook Lopez, he's not able to get to his spots to rebound. And I just think that it's 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 just brutal watching this team when they can't do any of the things that they're supposed to do. And the way Lopez and the Bucks play just makes life really miserable for Andre Drummond, who, like I said, a minus 40, it's just the number jumps out at you. Minus 45 and 26 minutes of play is... Pretty dang ridiculous, especially for the postseason. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the, the comparison, and obviously it makes a lot of sense, but when you look at the comparison of the plus-minus, the Bucks starters uh, completely annihilated the, the Pistons in this one. Uh, and as you sort of touched on, the news is not getting any better for Detroit because uh, Vincent Goodwill from Yahoo last night, it was pretty late last night, it was around midnight, I think, when this news came out, or even later, he, he put a story out or sort of tweeted that uh, he's hearing from the Pistons or some people inside the Pistons that Griffin is unlikely to play at all uh, in this series. So, um, I mean, if you were trying to find any positive or any way that Detroit could get back in the series, if that's the case and Blake Griffin's done, then there is nothing. <laughs> I mean... They have one thing. They're excited about Luke Kennard. And good for them. For I mean, you you can't just be completely negative as a fan base. Luke Kennard looks fun, so at least yeah. they have that. I mean, he played well. I mean, at that, that point in the, in the second quarter where uh, Kennard was shooting the ball really well and, and 
the fact that he was you know playing so well and, and being, uh, on offense that is uh, kept the Pistons, you know, sort of around, <laughs> around that twenty point mark. I mean, that was that was the thing is you know without him playing as well as he did, then they probably go down by fifty points. But yeah, again. Yeah, Blake Griffin, and we spoke about this a little bit uh, also on the last part, that uh, this is just the story of his career. He gets to the postseason and uh, does all the hard work during this during the season and his body just fails him at, at the worst time. And and I don't think if Blake Griffin plays, it makes any difference at all. We already spoke about the fact that he's averaged 24, 8, and 7 across the series, regular season series with the Bucks. So he's played really good basketball and it has not mattered at all for the Pistons. But... With him gone, I'm not. I'm not sure if the Pistons get within 20 points of the Bucks in any game. They might not. I. I just think for the reason I said before, you know, Drummond not being effective, Detroit just doesn't have any shooting to space the floor whatsoever. I mean, Kennard is four for five from three. The Pistons as a team are eight for 27. So he accounted for half of their three point makes in 28 minutes of play. Also had nearly a quarter of their points. The Pistons at 86 in the game. Luke Kennard has 21 by himself. I mean, literally, you take this, what, I think second-year guy off the floor, and the rest of the team combines for 65 points, four made threes, and I don't even want to do the math on the shooting percentages, but somehow worse than 38% from the field, 29% from three. It's There's just not a lot here. Um, we talked about how small they are. I think that was pretty evident at times. I mean, they just they don't have much size anywhere outside of Drummond himself. And, I mean, we could probably do a whole section on this, but obviously Thon Maker has some height size at least. He's not the bulkiest fellow in the NBA. But, uh, yeah, this doesn't – aside from Kennard, I don't think you can point out any one thing and go – Oh, like this This was good for Detroit. I mean, I know I saw some Pistons folks enthused that when Drummond started guarding Giannis, that he just started pulling up for threes instead of driving, and it wasn't as effective. But in my opinion, I mean, the Bucks were up like 35. I just think Giannis was like, okay, whatever. Like, fine, I'll shoot him if you want me to. This is basically practice at this point. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to work on my form here, guys. No, that was 100% how I read it because early in the game, he was being super aggressive, trying to get to the paint and uh, you know, get into the free throw line. He ends up having 12 free throws in just 23 minutes. So you, know, you project that out uh, to a game where potentially, you know, if, if there is a game where he needs to play 35 minutes or high 30s, I mean, he's on pace for over 20, 20 free throws. So uh, I sort of felt the same way you did. There was It wasn't until the second quarter where, you know, the Bucks were already, I mean, the game was essentially over and then he started throwing up a couple of threes which uh, I think I saw you tweet something about you know just keep shooting it at that point and uh, you know I mean that's that's how we sort of felt all year about Giannis and shooting threes but particularly in that situation uh, I mean as I said the game was over he may as well get some shots up and keep working on that three in game situations but the scary thing again and, and this is and oh, I sort of want to get into this a bit later with a couple of other players, but Giannis finishes the night 9 for 17 from the field, 1 for 5 from 3, and just 5 for 12 from the free throw line. So when you think about how efficient Giannis has been through the entire season, this was not a great night for him. Um, and it's funny to say that because, I mean, he still shoots over 50% from the field, but typically if Giannis is having 17 shots, we're used to seeing him you know, 12 of 17, 13 for 17. So 
uh, <laughs> he's still got room to get better and he's still got room to improve. And uh, I just, I mean, that's just scary for Detroit. And we may as well touch on some Thon stuff because one of the things coming in that you knew if Blake Griffin wasn't going to play, then Thon was probably going to have to guard Giannis at times. And for mine, it seemed very obvious that he was going to, A, he was going to be very, very excited for the matchup. And he was going to be overly aggressive and he was going to try and, you know, block Giannis and do all these things. And we know how close these two guys are. But the problem with that is that he seemed the ideal candidate for Giannis to just drive at and know that he's going to get to the free throw line. 74 seconds in the game, Thon already has two fouls. And really, at that point, you know, I, I was wondering how long is this going to take before Thon's fouled out of the game? Because if Giannis keeps going at him like that, he's not going to survive. So Thon ends up, I mean, he only has four fouls in the end, but he only plays 22 minutes as well. And it wasn't the best night for him uh, for Detroit in, in his return to Milwaukee. No, it certainly wasn't. I mean, just ineffective on offense, two for 10 overall, oh from six from three point range. And, as you mentioned defensively, I mean, I think we all know that there are, like, the tools that make up Thon Maker's game. Like, you could look at them and be tantalized all day. I mean, clearly the Bucks were. They took him 10th overall a couple of years back in the draft. I mean, he's long. He's athletic. He can run the floor. He can shoot everything else. I mean, his body type could be one of a, an incredible defensive player. But the thing that has held him back, I mean, he's been inconsistent. You know, we've seen him play until yesterday really well in the postseason uh it doesn't seem like that same intensity was always there during the regular season you know he had, he just clearly you know the pieces are there but they just aren't assembled all the way correctly yet and like you said I mean that was on display within the first minute and 14 seconds because he just couldn't stay upright and and contest the honest without fouling and the Pistons had to adjust rather quickly because everyone in the building could tell that, you know, it's either going to be an and one or, or two straight up free throws every single time Giannis drives at him. And Giannis, to his credit, you know, you mentioned him and Thon are, are close, or at least were, probably still are. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything. But Giannis was like, I, I don't care if we're buddies. Like, this is the playoffs. I'll go at you every single time if you're guarding me, and I know you can't do it. And, you know, he did, and he forced the Pistons to adjust, you know, quickly. So I think it was just kind of – you know, more of what we've seen from Thon in that there's parts of his game that you go, oh, my God, this guy could be amazing, but it just doesn't all click right now. Yeah, and this goes back to, to the trade and, and some of the question marks as to whether or not he should have left this Milwaukee team to go to a team that really wasn't as good because I, I think that it's going to be a lot easier to pick apart Thon's game when he's playing on a team that gets completely obliterated by, you know, by 30 points. I mean, who was good on that team? Like, seriously, we, we spoke like Luke Kennard, but no one else played well at all. So I, I don't think that this series is going to be a fair way to look at Thon and say, well, he's trash. I mean, we know that he's been inconsistent and he comes in here and <laughs> these guys know him so well. They know what they can do to him and, and, you know, I, I just I just think it's a really, really, really bad, bad matchup for him. So, uh, Thon, uh, also, I mean, we, we should talk about a couple of the fouls that happened in this game because I think this is one thing that we need to 
we need to think about with this series. And and I think it was very fortunate that Giannis was able to keep his minutes down. But there was two hard fouls in this game. And, you know, in a series that is going to be likely a sweep, uh, the concern then turns to, well, let's just get these guys through healthier. Okay, no more injuries. Uh, let's make sure that they're good to go for the second round. So uh, Thon was the first one, a really hard foul on Giannis. I don't, I'm not sure. It was kind of interesting because this is a problem with Thon, and we've seen this a little bit. Obviously, he's super aggressive going for the block shot. He's kind of awkward with the way he moves. Maybe not kind of awkward. Maybe I'm underselling it. Yeah. But he, he sends he sends Giannis to the floor pretty hard. Uh, again, I, I don't think there was anything super malicious in the play, but it was just one of those things that he was probably in a bad position and... As we've seen over the years, he's not able to hold himself back from from trying to def, uh, you know, block a shot. So he sends Giannis to the floor hard. Giannis lands on his sort of shoulder. He may have hit his head a little bit there. After the game, he says he's totally fine. He brushes aside. He's not the type of player that's going to complain about a, a call like that, particularly not with with you know someone that he is so close with. So, but that's a hard foul. And then after that, Andre Drummond. I mean, to me, the Drummond one was really a bad, bad play from Drummond because unlike Thon, at least you could say, well, at least Thon, you know, had his hand in the in the general area of the ball. Drummond just literally shoved Giannis when he's in the air. And we've seen guys get hurt this way. We've seen this is how things can go really, really wrong. And I think that you could see that Drummond re- realized as soon as he did it, he went to pick up Giannis. Now, that could be the fact that he regretted that he did that or it could be the fact that he was trying to show the refs you know, and, and keep himself in the game. I'm not too sure. But either way, it wasn't a good play. And this is something that we need to keep an eye on with Giannis and the way the Pistons are defending him because, I mean, you just you just don't like to see him hit the floor that hard uh, multiple times. No, and I think there was some surprise I saw, you know, on Twitter that Drummond, you know, got the flagrant two and got tossed for that. And I think this, uh, the, the the commentator, I listen to the Fox Sports Wisconsin feed because I'm a, a true fan of Marcus and Jim and, and everyone else. Um, so I think they were, I think Jim Paschke was the one who called it. I think he had it, you know, entirely correct is that in this situation, in this series where you know this won't be the only blowout, I think there was very much uh, an intention on the referee's part to sort of say, you can't do this when you're down 40. Like, don't, don't get annihilated and and get mad and just start pushing guys over and hurt guys because you know your team doesn't have what it takes to stay in this series like it's felt to me that I I think Jim was entirely correct and this was very much a sort of statement by the official officials like listen it's frustrating you can be mad but you just you can't play like this like we're not we're not going to have this from you in this first round yeah I think that's correct and and after the game uh, Dwayne Casey sort of said the same thing. And look, he, he when he was asked, he said, I, I didn't think that was a flagrant too. Um, but he said, look, I understand that they were trying to get control of the game and I understand what they were trying to do, but I just didn't think that he should have been ejected for that. So that's sort of, you know, in line with what you're saying. I just think that, you know, in my opinion, I just think those plays where it's not a play on the ball, uh, a guy's in, in midair, I just don't think there should be any leniency with that, and uh, you know we've just seen it. Before. We've seen it before as Bucks fans. What could happen if someone's in the air and, and they get a shove, and, and you know things can get really bad. So 
while I, I do definitely agree with your assessment that that's exactly what was happening. They're like, if that was a close game, maybe they don't throw him out. But the fact that the game was over, they're like, listen, let's just get this guy out of here and, and, and get on with this game and, and get to the end with, with, with no fights or anything like that. So it's just, you know, from, from the Bucks' point of view, and it's so weird that we're only one game in and we're already talking about this. And we were already talking to me and you were talking about this before the series even started. But we're already at the point now where it's like, okay, we, we just, we don't need any, uh, we don't need any unnecessary injuries, any unnecessary incidents. Let's get through because this playoffs, playoffs are going to be long. And, uh, you know, while the Bucks haven't been out of the first round for a long, long, long time, they're going to do it this year. So, what you want is just to get everyone healthy and, and ready for the second round uh, and ready to play. I mean, who knows who we're going to play? I mean, it, it's been, you know, when you look at the, the start of the playoffs or the first the first weekend, there's been some wild results and, and really not too many results like the Bucks, where the team that you expected to win have just rolled through. No, I think pretty much just Milwaukee, Houston, and Golden State were the ones who uh... – you know, made their claims pretty clear. I mean, we saw the two seed in the West fall, the one, or the, excuse me, the two and three seeds in the East fall. And, you know, this is something I sort of tweeted during the game, uh, probably unnecessary at this point shots that some anonymous take from during the season. But, you know, it's a good thing the Bucks tried too hard and won all those regular season games and got the best matchup in the East. I think I also, you know, I mentioned, I think, you know, they would have done this to Orlando too, even though the the Magic managed to beat the Raptors in game one, which made me feel a little better about sort of saying, listen, it'd be a lot better if Milwaukee didn't catch Orlando in the first round. I still think the Bucks would have won the game handily. But, you know, this is what you earn when you're the best seed, you get the worst. Like, that's that's how it works. That's the system. It's meant to reward the best teams. And I'm sure there's people going to be out there already saying, if not, they have said already. No, this doesn't mean anything. Pistons without Blake, not that good. Like we're, you're taking too much from the Bucks, and it's like, well, maybe some other team should have won sixty games and, and gotten the first seed then, and they would have gotten the Pistons. You know, it's. I just think that it goes to show that you know they're not the, the regular season games aren't as important as playoff games, sure, but this is why it matters. You win the most, and you get to draw the teams like this who limp into the postseason, and then you basically just get a primer for the second round. Yeah, I mean, it was you know it was really the typical Bucks win. They they play good defense. Uh, they they hold the Pistons to eighty six points, which now uh, with that game last night they uh, improved to twenty and one when they keep the, the, the opposition under a hundred points. So this is what we've seen from the Bucks. They they defend uh, and they win games. And the offense has really been unstoppable all season. We know what you're going to get from the offense, and they're going to put up points. But defensively. Yeah, I think we've seen the Bucks really locked locked down, and I don't think that should surprise anyone because, uh, yeah, when you combine the fact that the Pistons don't really have an offensive option or a guy that they can just give the ball and let him go to work, Blake Griffin is that guy. Uh, he's not playing, so it does feel sort of like easy picking to the Bucks here, where the defense, if they even semi lock down, then I don't know how the Pistons are going to score over a hundred points, and uh, with that stat, twenty and one. Uh, when they keep the opposition under 100, again, it's it's not looking positive for the Pistons to, to get close in one of these games. So, uh, you know, the Bucks won 21 points. And this is something that I asked uh, both Chris Milton and Mike Budenholzer after the game about the offensive balance from Milwaukee, uh, how, again, they, they spread the load. They have 
uh, seven guys in double digits. And then obviously Tim Frazier and DJ Wilson put up some points as well. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of improvement for this for this offense. I think there was I was sitting next to uh, Malika Andrews from ESPN during the game, and she turned to me halfway through the second quarter and she said, "You know, what do you think about?" the fact that Chris Middleton has only had three shots and Bledsoe's only had two. I was like, well, I think that the Bucks are winning by 25 points <laughs> and I don't think it's really an issue. And, you know, the conversation that we sort of had was based around whether or not the Bucks really need Bledsoe and Middleton to be shooting more and to be in rhythm coming into the second round and, and really, you know, taking more control of the offense. But, I mean, I sort of just said, well, that's not what they do. Yeah, That's not what this Bucks team is about. They share the ball, and it's not about getting one guy going. If the shot's there, they're going to take the shot. If it's not, they're going to trust George Hill to have 14 points in the first half, or they're going to trust Pat Connors to have an eight-point first quarter as they did last night. So uh, it's just it's just crazy to me that you, you look at the game last night and Middleton really just, and he just under the radar. He has 14 points. He shoots four for seven from three. He really just takes everything as it comes to him. Bledsoe. Uh, only takes nine shots uh, on the game. Really, again, an understated role. And I asked Middleton after the game, I said, if you if you think back to last season and 12 months ago where we, where we were sitting here, um, and I remember specifically after uh, game two in Boston, I asked Middleton, I was like, Chris, you didn't, have, didn't take a shot in this game until halfway through the second quarter, which that was not acceptable in that team. Middleton could not go without shooting the ball because the Bucks needed him. They needed every single one of his points and every single bit of his 60% from three just to stay in the series. So uh, I asked him how it felt that that's not the case anymore. He doesn't feel like he needs to put the team on his shoulders. He doesn't feel like if he doesn't play well and if he doesn't score 30, they can't win. And, and yeah, he got a big smile on his face and he said, yep. He's like, this is what it's been like all year. I know I don't need to take tough shots. I know I don't need to carry the team. And I know that the guys are just going to share the load and take shots as they come. And I, I think that sums up this Bucks team. It sums up how unselfish they are. The, Milton doesn't care about getting his shots. Bledsoe doesn't care about getting his shots. They just want to play the right way, and they know that the results will take care of themselves. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I completely agree with everything you said. And it reminds me, I was listening to the uh, the Woj Low show with Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe, and they were sort of talking about, you know, Boston and Philly and all the sort of dynamics going on at the team. And then Woj kind of pivots to talk Bucks because it was a playoff primer and it makes sense to talk about the best team in the NBA and during one of those, I guess. And he sort of mentioned, yeah, the one team that has none of this is Milwaukee. Like they have none of this drama. You know, they have guys who are going to be free agents. They don't care. They don't worry about it. You know, they know who the best guy is. They don't really care out of Middleton and Bledsoe who the second best guy is. They literally just play basketball, win, have a lot of fun. They, you know, they like each other, everything else. And it was just it's, – it's nice to hear that sort of from outside of, of Milwaukee itself. I mean, even with the Bucks as being this good outside of Giannis stuff, there hasn't been, I don't think, a ton of focus on you know the team itself outside of just throwaway comments like, yeah, they're really good. Um, and it's just interesting to see someone as plugged in as, as Woj is Basically saying, yeah, I don't, I don't do a lot of reports on the Bucks because there's not a lot of reports there. They're not fighting. They're not having these crazy team meetings. They're just good, and I think it totally shows on the court when you know the Bucks love it when Pat Connaughton scores. The Bucks love it when guys who aren't in the top three have big games. You know, when 
I mean, Sterling Brown's more established now, but earlier in the season, Sterling would do something like a, a nice dunk or whatever, and you can just see the bench goes crazy. I mean, they love it. DJ Wilson, all these guys. And it's just like I don't think there's an ounce of selfishness on the team. I mean, we got another great Giannis quote. Now he's unstoppable. He knows this. I think everyone knows this after that game. But I think he's found a, a perfect balance between knowing that and having that edge but without becoming, you know, I mean, I know he's studied with Kobe, without becoming a true Kobe where he's mad when his teammates shoot or score. I don't think Giannis has any sort of a problem with that. No, he, he, I mean, no, he doesn't. He's uh, he's become increasingly, I mean, he's always been unselfish. We know that. But again, the big difference, and we spoke a little bit about this, is his IQ is going is gone through the roof. He now understands uh, where he should position himself where his teammates are going to be, how he can manipulate the defense. So that's a big thing with Giannis. But yeah, across the board, I mean, we've joked about that. Like uh, Eric and, and Matt and myself have, have joked about the fact that this team is, you know, from a from a writer's point of view, it's kind of boring <laughs> because all they do is go out and dominate teams. There's no stories there. They all get along. They all love being around each other. They're all happy. They're always joking, laughing, having a great time. I mean, they're just so loose. And this is this is the crazy thing. We know that they can lock down it, and and really, um, you know, in pressure moments, we've seen them all season. They've delivered. They've been able to focus in on on the schemes and what they're supposed to be doing. But uh, I mean, at, at practices uh, in the locker room before the game, after the game, I mean, this team is just so relaxed and so loose. They are not stressed out right now. They know that they belong here. They know what they need to do. And you know that's why this this whole season, when when people have been saying, "Well, they haven't been there before," they just have not cared because you can tell if you're around this team that they're not bothered by that. They couldn't care less. They didn't go out last night and play tight. They went out and they knew that they were better than opposition. Giannis, is, as you said, Giannis declared himself unstoppable in the first five minutes of the game, <laughs> which to me, when he that that first five minutes ended the series and. This is a team that people are like, well, they haven't been out of the first round before. Well, look, give it give it less than a week, and, and they're going to be out of the first round. It, it's just, I, 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 you know, if you've been watching this team, there was nothing surprising about last night. No, no, I don't think so. And I think we talk a lot, at least I do, um, sort of these like comparisons with the 14-15 Warriors. But this sort of discussion right here about how nobody cares and they all just have fun, this reminds me of, you know, Mike Budenholzer's alma mater, if you will, the Spurs, because that's that's been their thing for, you know, almost all of Greg Popovich's tenure outside of a couple of unfortunate ah, teammate-related things that happened in San Antonio. But mostly it's been smooth sailing and guys playing for each other. And that's, as we've seen, I mean, that's a, a recipe for an incredibly successful and stable franchise. I mean, there's so much benefit, you know, when you can go out and add superstars and everything else, but the teams who do those things, who don't build organically like this, it seems to me that they have more of those issues and they can never last for as long. It's not as stable of a, a partnership. It's a little radioactive, you know, all the pieces don't fit exactly right. And, you know, when you can add Kevin Durant to the Warriors, you're going to do it regardless. You know, there's probably going to be a circus. There's probably going to be a lot of messes, but you become that good, so it doesn't matter. But there's benefits to being the Spurs and growing your guys up from, you know, wherever they all come from, Argentina and Tim Duncan, I think, is from the Virgin Islands and wherever else. And 
you know, one guy was a high draft pick. Most of them weren't. You know, Bucks kind of the same deal. You know, t- Chris Middleton, a trade throw-in for the Brandon Knight for Brandon Jennings trade. Eric Bledsoe, you could trade for after he's just not content in Phoenix. And obviously Giannis, one of the best draft steals of all time. But I just think you're seeing the benefits of growing a team and, and giving it time to sort of come together as opposed to just trying to go out and assemble one right away and compete that way. It just doesn't – It doesn't. it's not the same sort of homegrown feeling, and I think that matters. I think it does matter as well, and I, I'm actually – so I'm working on something, and I won't say too much, but it's sort of based around that because when you look at how this team has been built uh, and the fact that, I mean, this has been really a sort of four or five-year plan with the Bucks, and I, I know that, you know, not so much this year, but I know in the past when the Bucks were sort of fumbling along around 500, and they did have Jason Kidd, and it felt like there was no way out of this, you know, mediocre lowest seed playoff team. It didn't look like the ceiling was that much higher than that. But the ownership has slowly been working on this plan of bringing in the uh, Bucks DNA that they always say. And again, it's, it's kind of a funny thing and there's been a lot of jokes about that. But when you look at it and, and the players that they've brought in and every single trade uh, you know, for the people that they've got, they're all high-character people. They're all high-character locker room guys. The guys that have been known uh, to be good teammates. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, I, I've been I've been going through and talking to all the players about this. And I, I'm just, as I said, I'm working on something that's based around that. Because to me, it's so interesting to see how that, how, how big of a difference that locker room stuff is. Because when you look at the Bucks and how well they're playing, and then you look at Boston and all the problems they've had this year, you look at Philadelphia and the question marks around, it's not talent. Talent isn't the question with those teams. The question is the fit. The question is whether they even like each other. And that that really makes a big difference. And, and I, I know one thing I will say that I spoke to Bud the other day after practice and, and he said that all these teams talent-wise at the top are kind of similar when you're looking at the real contenders. He said sometimes you need a, a difference maker. And that sort of locker room chemistry and, and how well your team gels and gets along can be the difference maker. And I think that that has been a difference maker for the Bucks all season. I expect it to continue to be a difference maker because we know when things don't go well for the Bucks, they don't turn on each other. That's not what this group is about. And I, I think it's truly special what this what this team has been able to build. Uh, but when you, when you speak about guys that have come in and from, from elsewhere, uh, the Bucks get... Miritich back last night, first time he's played in a little while. He uh, he didn't play major minutes. He probably played a bit more in the fourth quarter than they probably expected. I, I don't know what the plan was. <laughs> Budenholzer did, definitely did say that he wanted to keep his minutes down, but Miritich ends up playing 14 minutes. Clearly, he looked a bit rusty. He's 0 for 5 from the, from the three-point line, but uh, it was good to see him back out on the floor. And, and did you take anything away from Miritich last night? It looked like the he might have been a little bothered by the thumb at times and certainly a lot of rust there to knock off. But I just think, again, it's so nice to have the top seed and, and this terrific matchup for the Bucks because much like Giannis with the threes, they can just kind of have Nico out there and say, hey, go ahead and shoot a bunch. doesn't matter. Like, we, we don't care. We're going to win by 35 either way. So go back, go get back in the game floor of things. I mean, that's it's a luxury to have for sure, um, I think. I think he's not looked good great for most of his Bucks tenure a couple good games a lot of off games and I just think 
I think that's you know small sample size. We know what this guy can do. We've seen him do it in the NBA for years. He did it in Europe for even longer. And it's just it's really nice to get him just some extended run where he can kind of get back in the flow of things. Again, just get used to being in the offense. He hasn't had a lot of time to do that either uh, and have him ready for when the games really start to matter in the second rounds and beyond. Yeah, and uh, again, it's going to be interesting. The, the three guys that we're looking at uh, in the rotation have been uh, Ersan, uh, Miritich, and DJ Wilson. The three guys that are going to really be battling for those minutes. Now, obviously, last night there's a lot more minutes to go around than probably what you expect in most games. Uh, Ilya Slavin plays 22 minutes, and he was really part of the early rotation. So that's that's something that we have expected. That's something that we could probably continue to expect. Uh, and then Miritich, as I said, played 14 minutes and DJ Wilson 15 as they really played the, the entire fourth quarter. I think, uh, you know, it's important to note that Budenholzer multiple times last night, pre- pre-game and post-game, said that Miritich, uh, you know, needs needs to obviously work his way back into the game, but he fully expects that Miritich is going to be a guy that will be a major part of the rotation. So we already expected that, but that's something that, you know, Bucks fans, I guess, should expect that, that as Miritich works his way back in, he's going to be playing big minutes. And I think out of those three, he's still the guy that plays the most. I think it's pretty clear at the moment that Ersan is the second guy. I asked uh, Bud before the game about the rotation and how he sort of planned to work through uh, you know, guys not playing. I asked him whether the rotation may change for matchup purposes. And really, I'm thinking about DJ Wilson when I asked that question. He's the ultimate sort of matchup guy defensively that maybe you want to put him in if you want to do some more switching. I, you know, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But Bud sort of dismissed that straight away. He said, we're not a team that worries about matchups. We worry about ourselves. If we have a hot hand, we'll probably play those guys. But other than that, uh, we're just going to take it as it comes. I, I don't, I, I'm, he said, I'm, I'm not going to be swapping guys through or changing the rotation just because we're playing a certain team. So I'm not sure what that means for DJ, but certainly the pecking order here looks like what we expected with Miritich and Ursa and then DJ. I didn't see it on TV. You probably did. Uh, I seen, well, I had some people asking me and I really, I didn't know the answer because I, I did not see it, but apparently Miritich looked a little bit sore before halftime. Uh, he may have got a hit to that thumb, but I'm not sure. But uh, I think it was a positive sign that he came back in the fourth quarter and played, uh, you know, eight or nine minutes in the fourth quarter. So that obviously looks good. I didn't get a chance to, to catch up with Miritich after the game to ask that question. But again, the, the fact that he played in the fourth quarter seems positive. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't, I can't really comment on much more on that. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I didn't see it in particular from what I can gather. I mean, I, I don't know if it was just him or, or someone from the, the medical staff just looking at his thumb, sort of. It seemed like he was kind of holding it. I didn't see Certainly didn't see anything on the court happen that it looked like it got hit or anything. Um, but as you said, I mean, he comes back and plays big minutes in the fourth quarter. So I, I don't think it was anything, you know, too concerning, obviously, especially in that game of all games. I mean, if he's not right at all, there's no reason not to just pull the plug and throw in whoever else. I mean, as we noted, the game is over. It's just too bad that Bonzi Colson doesn't have his, uh, his two-way contract bought into a standard one. He can't get minutes in the postseason. It would have been nice to have him soak up a couple this game but uh it's you know luckily i think you know the bucks they can do these things with the rotation and 
you know, guys who played really well earlier can kind of get left out. And like you said, I mean, we talked about this. They they go for a certain type of player on and off the court. And, you know, they don't just partner with anyone, and that makes the chemistry good. And honestly, it reminds me of uh, us here at Blue Wire, Kane, because we just don't partner with any advertiser. We want to make sure that we're giving our listeners a good deal on a product. And that's exactly why we love doing business with Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. I think that's what Brooke Lopez's contract is for this year. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire and you'll save $10 on a trial set, which includes five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, a travel blade cover. That's, that's useful when you're going on trips like you guys get to go to Detroit later. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were sick and tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for just $3. Just $3, Kane. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great deal. You touched on it. Brooke Lopez, new haircut. He was looking good out there. Yeah. Hey, Shout uh, out to Brooke Lopez. He got Katie George mentioned it in the interview. I think either... I think it was the halftime one, and I had to laugh. I was like, that's where we're at in this game in this series. Then. <laughs> that's probably about as interesting and useful information as whatever's happening out there. Yeah, no, she's she's been really into the haircut the last couple of days. She asked him about it at practice as well, so I'm not sure if she got a different answer there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, one thing that we are going to watch, and, and we know we've spoke a lot about the Bucks. I feel like we've dissected that uh, 35-point beat down as much as we possibly could in this podcast. But <laughs> But the other, the other series, obviously, I mean, we keep our eyes on all the things uh, going on in the playoffs, but the series that uh, will directly, uh, you know, affect the Bucks moving forward is the Celtics and the Pacers. And, uh, I, I, I mean, this was just an awful game of basketball. I, I, the Celtics end up winning 84-74. Uh, they outscored the Pacers 26-8 to in the third quarter. I mean, offensively, it was just a brutal game to watch. But... Um, the uh, and and look, I must admit, I I sort of I only had one eye on it because I think along with everyone else, I was watching Tiger Woods uh, in the Masters. But oh yeah, uh, Celtics uh, take a one nothing lead. We know how dominant they've been at home in the playoffs. We remember that the first hand from last season. So Celtics take a one zero lead. I still uh, very strongly feel that this is going at least six. I think it's going to be a long series, but. You know that's obviously the one to to keep an eye on for Bucks fans. I mean that's 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 who the Bucks are, are going to get when they when they uh, are done with the Pistons in this series. So uh, something to keep an eye on. But for the Bucks, game two they get two days off, so it's it's kind of a, a an odd schedule. But again, guys like Miritich and Tony Snell, who was uh, warming up before the game, starting to look really good. He gets another couple of days, so uh, the Bucks. Uh, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., they're going to be a fire serve. And uh, the Pistons actually went home. 
they went home last night. So they did not want to stay in Milwaukee. And I guess it makes sense. I remember a couple of years ago when the Bucks said the Raptors, they chose to come back to Milwaukee in between uh, games in Toronto. It's, you know, for, for such a quick flight, I mean, it makes sense that you would go home and practice in your own facility. It's, uh, you know, two days is a long time to be chilling in a hotel. So, um, I guess what what do you try and get from the next few days? What are you looking forward to in game two? Is there any quick thoughts on that? I think I mean we kind of touched on it. I think game two and three and four are going to be more of the same uh, until this one is is over and done with. Um, I think almost uh, you know after like you said, I mean this series was pretty much over within however many seconds or minutes or whatever you want to say. I started to think more about the fact that. You know, Boston did not play a good game, and their offense didn't look that good. Consider, I mean, Indiana has a built-in excuse, right? Oladipo's out, so you can say, okay, that's their engine. I mean, if they if they don't score a lot against a good defense, that's just kind of expected. I mean, Boston, for once, has pretty much – I mean, Marcus Smart is out, and that hurts. But, you know, they have Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, and their two young wings and almost everyone else. So, to me, I mean, the fact that they could only put up 84 points or whatever is kind of like, oh, okay, I mean – they, they play good defense. They're not going to hold Milwaukee to 74 points. That's for sure. So that was kind of encouraging. And then obviously for whoever the Bucks get in the conference finals, I mean, for those teams to be down 0-2 combined, serious questions about Joel Embiid. He played but was limited against the Nets. And, I mean, obviously it, it's interesting to me that Philly has all those, you know, big-time high-level pieces, but Embiid is still their bellwether in such a big way. I mean, they lose minutes when he's off the floor and, that's that series is just going to be, you know, it's more dramatic than I think most of us thought with this Embiid stuff because the Nets came to play and obviously Toronto, uh, outside of OG Ananobi, again fully healthy and just losing a, a last second game to the uh, to the Orlando Magic with Kyle Lowry putting up zero points. I mean, it was just I think pretty much as good of a first weekend as possible for Bucks fans. I mean, Boston losing a game to Indiana that would have helped too. It was tied in the third quarter at one point before Boston went on that crazy run. But I just think no one else in the East looked very overwhelmingly good. And then you have Milwaukee who just takes care of business as they've done all season. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I don't think, I mean, we should also, (laughs) I, that's definitely the case. And I'm not, I'm not concerned about Toronto. I think Toronto end up rolling through Orlando pretty comfortably. The magic shoot near on 50% from three. Obviously, the Raptors have some room to room for improvement, and really, they just lose game one. We know that's we know that's what they do. Yep. But uh, you know, the other two series. I mean, this is I, I I thought before, and I know I spoke about it. I tweeted it. I like these series are going to be long because Indiana play hard, uh, and Brooklyn play hard, and they're just both two really really well coached teams. And even um, you know, if Embiid was healthy, I still like the Nets to really push the Sixers to gain. Uh, the six to six games. Um, I, I think that the Embiid thing is huge because he was really, really, really dominant when he was on the floor. But he, I don't know if he's going to be able to play. They're back at it tonight. He's only had one day off. Uh, it's it's a, it's really just a mess out there in Philly. And, and as we've seen, if they lose one of their starters, things get pretty thin after that. So that's going to be interesting to watch. But for the Bucks, uh, as I said, they're going to roll into game two. Blake Griffin, unlikely to play. And we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but the, the as I said, Vincent Goodwill from Yahoo Sports has said that Blake Griffin is unlikely to play at all in this series, which, you know, for Milwaukee, 
It's, uh, I mean, I've always said sometimes you need a little bit of luck in the playoffs, and uh, it, it, I don't think that Blake Griffin playing changes the series, as I've said, but I think, you know, the fact that the Bucks were able to keep their starters to 25 minutes or less last night, I mean, the more you can do that in the playoffs just bodes well for, for later on because this is going to be a long grind, and once the Bucks, you know, do get out of the first round, things are going to get difficult. So, as I said, uh, the Bucks host the Pistons in game two, seven o'clock on Wednesday night. And we will be back uh, with the podcast, whether it's after the game or it's in the morning like this one. Uh, we will have a podcast after every game in the playoffs. So, Ty, I think uh, that's probably about it. I think that is it for now. We uh, we will be back after game two to break down whatever happens. Cough, blowout, cough in that one. And, uh, you know, until then, everybody, recommend the podcast to a friend. If you like it, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And... Uh, Thank you guys for listening and thank you, Kane.